Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Kerwin, and on today's episode, I have Iva Cummings. Iva is also commonly known as the Fat Emperor Online. He has a background in biochemical engineering and helping corporates with large worldwide teams and complex problem-solving activities. He is currently the Chief Program Officer for the Irish Heart Disease Awareness Charity, and he is also the host of the health podcast called The Fat Emperor. Iva, thanks so much for coming on for an episode for today. Not at all, Gary. Great to be here. So the reason I got you on is because you're the man uh, who's going to help educate listeners about something called the coronary artery calcium score or CAC or CAC score. And this is all to do with heart disease. And this is something personally I've had done myself a few years ago. So I'm really excited to expand uh, this topic. Yeah, great. Well, I can certainly speak on that one, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind, uh, just introduce listeners to what exactly is um, this coronary artery calcium score. I'm going to call it CAC just for easier. Yeah, actually, and CAC is used quite commonly and, and it can confuse some people. It's just from the CAC acronym. Uh, so it's essentially a CT scan of the heart. It's a high-speed X-ray and it's such a high speed that it actually essentially freezes the heart like a strobe light would freeze a moving part. And it allows uh, to get a snapshot of the calcium that's in your coronary arteries. Now, it's a really important scan because if you have very low levels of heart disease, let's say at middle age, you can have a zero score. And in fact, around half of 50-year-olds uh, have a zero score and they're extremely low risk maybe one, one and a half percent of heart events in the next 10 years with a zero score. But if you get a high score with a lot of calcium, you can be up to 20 or 25 times more likely to have a heart attack in the next 10 years. So it's important for people to realize that if you have high blood pressure or problematic cholesterol levels, you might be 1.5 or maybe even two times more likely to have a heart attack than someone with ideal blood pressure but a high calcium score can be 20 times or more. So the calcium score predicts your next 10 years, if you do nothing to stop your disease, it predicts better than all the risk factors put together and then some. So it's a very important scan for middle-aged, middle-risk people. And it's important to note that you don't have to be overweight or a smoker or have any of the risk factors to have enormous heart disease. So we're involved with the Irish Heart Disease Awareness in scanning a lot of people quite recently. And we know from all the data that huge amounts of heart attacks and deaths happen in apparently slim people who don't smoke, who seem perfectly healthy and their doctor thinks they're healthy. And this is the biggest tragedy. They don't get any treatment or any advice because everyone thinks they're healthy. And an overweight smoker knows they're at risk and will probably get some element of treatment. But the irony is apparently slim people all over the world without a calcium scan, you could have enormous disease and simply not know it until you wake up after a heart attack or perhaps not wake up. Yeah. And all those years ago when I was trying to understand what is the best way to truly understand cardiovascular risk disease. So, I mean, that's when I was in my, um, I think, mid or early 30s and even then i wanted to know okay so what 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 chance do i have of having a heart attack even now because that's when i was first doing a high fat experiment of course when someone goes ketogenic or low carbohydrate and they start up in their saturated fats they start freaking out like oh my gosh i'm going to potentially cause a heart attack initially and um other than your typical blood tests I, I wanted to know what so what is even better than just this confusing cholesterol um blood marker itself and that's where I stumbled across this, this test. So would you see value in someone who is starting a ketogenic journey? Um, and if they have a concern about cardiovascular risk, um, that they should get a, one of these scores and not just a blood test? 
Well, absolutely, in my opinion. Now, the 2018 latest cholesterol treatment guidelines from the American Heart Association and American College of Cardiology have come out with a 2A evidence level rating and a strong endorsement of the calcium scan, finally, for middle risk people with 7 to 20% risk from the calculator, because they now finally accept the huge value that I described. Uh, So middle risk people, certainly. But as you said, people starting a new diet who want the comfort of knowing where their level of heart disease is right now before they start. And in a couple of years, they can go back and find out, has it got worse or better? Absolutely. A calcium score gives you a baseline now and also allows you to see if you have a major issue. And to be quite honest, Gary, If you have a major issue, you're a person who needs to be much more careful than anyone else. So you might actually have a more conservative approach to diet, maybe a little, if you find out you have very high levels of disease. You know, you'll you'll tread carefully. So it might help with that as well, not to go too crazy all of a sudden and to take it more slowly, perhaps. Yeah. And uh, so have you seen situations where someone could have good cholesterol markers or other blood blood markers, but then they have the scan and the scan says something completely different? Only millions of people are in that boat, Gary, honestly. The reality is that um, I'll briefly tell the story that seven years ago, I had poor blood markers, genuinely poor. And that caused me as a biochemical engineer and problem solving specialist After going to several doctors, not getting answers, I researched the databases, scientific literature, and I found all my answers. But at the same time, David Bobbitt, uh, my current boss, I work for Irish Heart Disease Awareness, IHDA.ie, he actually got a scan by coincidence. He was top 10% of fitness on the treadmill with ECG. His bloods all looked fine, right? Everything, including his HbA1c, which was 5.3, everything looked fine, and he was actually a diabetic, a full type 2 diabetic. And he got a score of 906 in the calcium scan, didn't know what it meant, investigated and found out what I described to you, and he, he got really angry. And he found out he had three blocked arteries, one fully blocked of the main artery and a 70% and I think a 50. Enormous disease throughout his arteries, all his bloods were fine, Not only that, but the treadmill can catch some very diseased, symptomatic people. But the treadmill is very poor for catching the hidden disease of atherosclerosis. So he was passing the treadmills too. Now, I'll just add the latest news. We scanned over 40 of Ireland's sporting heroes in their mid-50s in the last couple of months for a documentary, which is now released on my channel. And we found 9 out of 40 four basically had levels of disease that required them to immediately go to a cardiologist for follow-up treatment those nine like the rest were all considered by the medical system to be completely healthy and not requiring any treatment so 20 percent of them needed to immediately get follow-up treatment they had scores over 100 and up to 3,000. and these guys i met them you would swear they were healthy they're But the other thing is we did all their bloods, their blood tests. And I showed the graphs in, um, well, not in the documentary. It's the film version coming out in six months. We'll show the bloods. But basically, none of the high-scoring people had any signal in their cholesterol, LDL, HDL, or even triglycerides, really. The the A1C of the highest-scoring people, some of them had a highish A1C, but there's no way you could tell the zero-scoring healthy people from the people with 1,000 and even 3,000 calcium at ultra-high risk. You can't tell the difference in middle-aged people. So to your question, no way would I trust the blood tests. If I was middle-aged and I wanted to know my level of disease, I'd start with a calcium scan. And then if I had a low score, I'd keep an eye on my bloods and and certainly try and get them as good as I could. And if it was a high score, I'd be all over my blood tests and also getting advanced measures to track my progress. But the calcium score, it's kind of the start to check what disease level have I got by looking inside, like an engineer would. 
You know, you can look now in five minutes for $100 and actually see the level of progressive cardiac disease. That's the first step if you're middle risk, middle age. Then you can follow your bloods as you try and fix it or you try and maintain that low score if you have a low score. Yeah, and that, you know, the thinking I had too was that if you're concerned about blockages, imagine it like a pipe. Actually, look, are there blockages? Because that's much better than just trying to guess by a fluctuating cholesterol number that doesn't actually tell you, is there a blockage? And particularly on the high pressure pipes, um, which are around your heart. And that's where this score I found so invaluable to actually show me, and is there a, is there a blockage, actual physical blockage in that area? And um, so that is already fascinating to hear that, yeah, you could, you could be seemingly well. So you pass the, the stress test on the ECG, on the treadmill, your blood's come back. You're not, you know, even you might not be always diabetic, but then you have this score. So you, you mentioned some numbers already. Could you just explain the different ranges then uh, for people, uh, what the score numbers are, you know, what it goes from and up to, and what, when would you start getting concerned? Yes, no, great question, because this can be confusing to people because the numbers can go so high. So there's kind of brackets they use to keep things simple. So there's zero scoring people, which is the best result. So extremely low, low risk people. Then generally they look at one to 100 as a bracket. And those people are certainly higher risk, but they're not considered very high risk. Then 100 to 400 is a high risk range. And then 400 to 1,000, you know, is another bracket of kind of very high risk and over 1,000 really, really high risk. So that kind of gives a feel. Now, an important thing for people to know is recent studies have cast a lot of clarification on the medication question too. And it turns out the most recent study has pretty good associational data that if your score is below 100, you will not benefit from lipid lowering or drugs over the following 10 years at all. And if you are over 100, you can get substantial benefit from lipid lowering and other anti-inflammatory drugs. So the American Heart Association now, it's coming in, as I say, in the 2018 guidelines, that this data from CAC can really help people who are lower risk avoid drugs if they would if they want to avoid them. And it can certainly direct the people who will benefit from drugs towards those if their score is over 100. Now, another interesting thing is, although it's important what age you are, so if you're aged 80 with a score of 50, that's not nearly as bad as being 50-year-old with a score of 50. But that said... A 50-year-old with a very high score is at much higher risk in the next 10 years than an 80-year-old with a low score of heart events. So certainly the older you are, the less serious it is to have a high score because there's a natural progression with age in many people. And if it progresses slowly and you end up with a 50 at 75 years old, it's generally a very slow progression that's not too dangerous. But if you're middle-aged with a 50 or 60, it's a much bigger challenge because you've built that calcium and progressive disease and you're only 50. So very high risk. So that's kind of giving an overview um, of the score versus risk. And then when it comes to the types of plaque, so we're talking about calcified plaque, but is that also uh, where soft plaque falls under? Um, because you hear that's being talked about. So does this test manage to pick that up too? Yeah, that's a really important question, Gary. So one argument negative about calcification made by people, and it's completely uh, it's completely false argument, really, is that the calcium or calcium scan doesn't see the soft plaque. Now it's theoretically true that if there's no calcium in a soft plaque, then the scan won't pick it up. However, the crucial thing is that the calcified plaque is the tip of the iceberg. If you have no calcified plaque, almost by definition, you must have a very low burden of soft plaque. And if you have high calcified plaque, increasingly, you've got a huge iceberg of soft plaque under the surface. So it correlates so well that it doesn't matter that the calcium scan doesn't see the soft plaque. 
it predicts and sees the vulnerable patient. It doesn't need to see the soft plaque. Now, just to give a kind of a, an example of this, uh, my friend, Dr. Scott Murray, who's president of the British Association of Cardiovascular Prevention, he's a research cardiologist, and we had a podcast and we discussed this. And he brought up studies that showed even in diabetics who got their soft plaque fully analyzed way more than a normal person will, only 3% of really bad soft plaques caused an incident in the next 10 years. And the diabetics with a zero calcium score, right, even with lots of plaques, their event rate over the following 10 years of heart attacks was actually only a couple of percent. However, in a similar group of diabetics in a different study, the ones with a high score in calcium had up to a 20% all-cause mortality over 12 years. So hopefully people can see the comparison. If you're a zero score, even diabetic, even with soft plaque, you can have some events in the following 10 years. It's not a guarantee. But the people with high scores, similar type people, can have 20% all-cause mortality. So it's an incredibly accurate test, but no test is 100% perfect, nor would any engineer expect any test to be 100% perfect. So the soft plaque is a distraction, mostly. Okay. And when we're talking about plaques here then, and coming back to when people are maybe adopting a new way of eating, um, I'll tie this in a little bit with Dave Feldman's work and how he notices that some people become hyper-responders. So, of course, again, someone you know adopts this new way of eating and suddenly their cholesterol numbers go up dramatically. Um, if they then go get a calcium score and it comes back as zero, how would you feel if you saw a zero calcium score with someone who's maybe at one of these hyper-responders with a very high LDL number? Would you maybe do another calcium score earlier on, like not wait another 10 years, maybe do it in three or five years' time? Or, the way, or do you also follow Dave's um, thinking then that it's okay to maybe in certain people, they're just going to have these high numbers, and, but they're not at an, an increased risk of cardiovascular disease? Yeah, that's that. There's nuances to that question, uh, Gary, as you probably well know. Yeah. So essentially, Dave would always state, and and I stated when people ask, he is doing interesting experiments to learn, and it really is for people who are relatively young and relatively safe to play with these things, to go on some of these extreme diets. Uh, the problem is that he's not really intending people who have a high heart risk to to play with this science and research because you know ethics someone with a high risk and lots of disease has to be really careful a bit like we said earlier so i would say that there is a lot of evidence building that a hyper responder lean mass healthy hyper responder can have very high numbers with no excessive risk and there's a lot of published data around that but it's not proven. So I'd say that it is great to have a calcium score before you embark on a very radical change, especially if, if it involves sending your cholesterol numbers and more importantly, your ratios into unusual places, you know, just to be careful. Uh, and certainly I would tend to, if doing something exploratory before the proof is in, uh, I would tend to, as you say, have a calcium scan two or three years later just to actually look inside again and see the disease and see, well, is there something unusual happening? Uh, because we are talking about people's lives here. So although I think there's a lot of data to say that Dave is correct, and it personal belief is, and we have quite a lot of people who've had high LDL particle numbers for many, many years, and they're coming in with zeros. Uh, Dr. Jeff Gerber, my co-author, has a guy, I think, eight to 10 years with very high particle numbers who insists on staying on his diet. And he got a scan eight years ago and he got another one recently, zero, zero, and he's middle-aged. So I think we're going to see a lot of people who are like Dave's people who maybe it's fine, but, but we can't recommend people to ignore unusual markers especially if, if they may have already got disease, you know, we got to be careful. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so 
do you think there's any other blood markers then that someone could correlate with the, their score? So if they come back um, with a higher score number, uh, do you think there's any other ways that you could say, right, I can take this data point, but I can also key in these other points that truly show me I am at a higher risk factor. I'm thinking like an insulin test here. Yeah. Now, prob one of the challenges is if you get your calcium score, then you've done the crucial thing. Because as we said earlier, you can be grossly overweight or even a smoker with a zero and very low risk. You can be slim and apparently fit with a high score and high risk. So the calcium score is the quick, crucial thing. That said, you want to look at blood markers. I agree with you. Well, you're better looking at the best ones if you can get them. So I think from the basic cholesterol panel, you've got the ratios of triglyceride to HDL, a very good proxy for hyperinsulin. It's a very good proxy. You've got the total cholesterol to the HDL ratio, ideally below five, and that's another good proxy. Um, you've got remnant cholesterol, where you take the total, subtract, subtract the HDL and subtract the LDL, and you get your remnant. And that should be around 13, 14, or 15 in American units. Uh, so that's a good measure. You get on to insulin, yeah, a fasting insulin and a fasting glucose together, you can put into a HOMA, H-O-M-A, calculator online, and that's a pretty good measure. Um, and if you take an insulin two hours after drinking 75 grams of glucose, it's a much better measure. Uh, but a lot of these things are probably better after you already have a calcium score and you're kind of tracking your shorter term progress because we can't really trust any of them, as we saw with the 44 sportsmen like a month or two ago. Literally, it's a shotgun plot. And even the ratios, which are usually pretty good, they didn't line up with the scores. They didn't line up with the disease. Uh, one last thing I'll say as well is, if you put in your data into the MESA, M-E-S-A calculator online, even if you have no calcium score results, you can put your data in there, your cholesterol and HDL, yeah? And that will give you your 10-year risk. And what we're seeing is that even hyper-responders, when they put their numbers in the world's risk calculators, they can often come out low risk. So even the orthodoxies risk calculators don't use LDL cholesterol. And when you put in someone with a 300 uh, total cholesterol and an 80 HDL, kind of like a hyperresponder, once their blood pressure is low and they don't have diabetes and the other questions are answered, they can often come in with a sub-low 3% risk anyway. So I'd say use the orthodoxy calculators because they'll often tell you something very surprising. Your doctor may want you on drugs for an LDL level, but technically that doctor should be using the calculators, not looking at your LDL. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, again, what a lot of people do when they have a general practitioner appointment. You know, they go see their family physician, just have a simple cholesterol test, and it comes back with higher LDL. And then, you know, the question is, should I go straight on to a statin? Um, and this is why I like what you're explaining here. It's like, well, actually use all these other points to make that decision, like have the scan to actually see, do you have a problem? Yeah. And they can, they can actually go onto MESA, MESA, calculator, Google it, Put in your numbers, print out your risk. I had a lady the other day, and I'm getting a lot of people writing to me now. And when I tell them to do that exercise, a lady the other day, the doctor was insisting she take drugs. And I looked at her and said, I don't think you're high risk, but I'm not a doctor. Go to Misa. She put in her numbers. Now, just to show you how bad it is, Gary, if you're below 7.5% risk in 10 years, you're low risk, means no drugs indicated. If you're below 5%, it's accepted to be very low risk in 10 years. You know what she got from the official MISA calculator? 1% <laughs> risk, 1.2. But I said, go to your doctor, print out that MISA result and say, why are you telling me to take a drug when the official risk calculator says I'm ultra low risk? And I know your doctor won't know what to say because he clearly has or she has no understanding of this. And if everyone does this and goes to their doctors, doctors around the world are going to begin to realize that, hey, we're not even meant to be using LDL. Yeah. yeah.
And and again, it would maybe I just think as a patient who wants to feel um, they're being taken care of by their doctor that maybe then, uh, yeah, the, the calcium artery score would be hopefully mentioned more often in, in appointments to say, okay, if you truly are a little bit worried that you're going to have heart disease and at risk of a heart attack here, let's get one of these simple tests done with you. Yeah, and and Gary, the reality is sometimes I think even people who have listened to my discussion on coronary calcium, I don't think it sinks in fully. There are millions upon millions of people out there who appear to be healthy to the doctor to themselves and are going to die of a premature heart attack. Denying them the knowledge that there is a scan there that can tell them immediately that they have high disease is is criminal. I mean, it it is outrageous because the technology is sitting there in most hospitals in the world not being used. And imagine imagine with cancer, we had an amazing scan that could find any cancer. And it was way better than any cancer scan currently they use. And they decided, we don't really want to use it. We'd rather look at your lifestyle and a few of your metrics and guess whether you have cancer. We don't really want to bother using our amazing cancer scan. And then you have millions of people dying younger from cancer. That's what's happening with heart disease. Yet somehow it's getting ignored. And, and we're going to change that because it's, it's criminal. It is criminal. Mm. And yeah. I guess that gets me thinking because maybe some, some people may have an argument. And they've done this before with um, CT scans. Um, so like the facility I went to years ago, they would do even like full body CT scans to assess risk if you've got other problems maybe elsewhere. But you could just have benign things, things that are going to cause a problem. But in this case here, if you do have a calcium score in your heart, that's not just a benign thing. That's not just, oh, it's okay, don't worry. Some people get it, some people don't. Um, if you have this, this is actually a, this is an absolute risk factor. Yeah, that is, it's a crucial thing. And actually, it's not actually a risk factor. It's a marker of disease process. Uh, which a risk factor is something in your blood you measure which indicates you may have a problem that may lead possibly to heart disease, right? It's a long chain of guesses, right? But calcium only arises in diseased vessels. Calcium is a direct marker of disease progression. It's a physical manifestation of disease. So it's very different than a risk factor. And again, that's a great point, Gary. Some people think, well, calcium's a better risk factor. And no, 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 apples and oranges. Risk factors, schmisk factors. Calcium is, a, is direct evidence of the disease process. And that's why it predicts so amazingly powerful compared to all the risk factors put together. Because you're looking at the disease process itself. And if, if there's a high disease process with a lot of calcium, you're a person who's racking up disease and you're heading for the wall. And that's why it predicts 20 times or more higher for a high score than a zero, because one person is slamming in inflammatory disease and heading for a heart attack, and the other person has almost no disease. You can't even measure it. Yeah. yeah. And so this gets me thinking too, because some people are going to wonder now, okay, so say I had the zero score, and now I'm going to embark my experimental way of eating. How, how fast could a change in your calcium score occur um so if you start eating something bad and it's and it's putting you on the reason why these um, plaques occur um would you expect that um you would only see the change maybe three years after eating that way or could you already start seeing things after 12 months to two years of eating a certain way oh the, <laughs> the i know it's a cliche to say great question but in fairness gary these are good questions <laughs> um that depends so I'll, I'll actually tell from a, a talk I gave a couple of years ago, I'll explain. If you get a zero and you're middle-aged and you, you're not doing anything funny, for a person with no diabetes and good bloods, it's a 15-year warranty because the rates of heart disease and all-cause mortality also, not just heart disease, are so low in the following 15 years. Multiple papers have called it a warranty. However, if you have diagnosed diabetes and you get a zero, there's no real warranty. So if you have genuinely bad bloods and genuinely problems with your physiology, the zero may, be, may have a very short half-life. You may be a zero today with lots of disease 
and within a year you could score a, a significant score. So I liken it to rust proofing and vehicles. I'll just give a little analogy. So if you've got a rust proof vehicle, that's a person with good bloods and no diabetes. They're inherently in good shape. And if you see no rust, an engineer might say that car won't have dangerous rust within 15 years or more. But if you have a car that's no rust proofing and it's highly exposed, think of that like the diabetic or the person with a problem. The engineer might look at the car with no rust proofing and say, well, maybe two or three years. There's no rust now, but, you know, I wouldn't warranty that for more than two or three years because I know it's exposed to risk. So it's like that. So your zero depends on you having no dangerous blood markers or ratios, uh, essentially, to really give you a good warranty, if you will. Now, the person embarking on the diet, it also depends. If that person is really healthy, you know, and the zero is a 15-year warranty, it's unlikely even a negative diet, unless they start smoking and drinking soft drinks and going crazy, it's unlikely they're going to be able to rapidly get a score. But if you've got someone who has bad blood and has diabetic problems and their zero is really not going to last anyway and they suddenly do a diet that could provoke a problem, then within a year or two, they, they could very well come in with a score. So it's a hard question to answer. Um, I think the fundamental point is you got your baseline. By all means, check back in two or three years and, and expect to see a zero. And if you don't, you've got to start asking questions. You got to start thinking because it's your responsibility, your own health. And we don't have all the answers. It's just calcium will tell you much better than anything else what's going on. I, I think that's the key. No, that's a great answer. And, that, you know, the, the reason I bring these up too is just to show people things aren't always black and white. You know, there's, there's, there's the gray area where you have to have other thoughts and, and thinking around it. But that, what you just brought up there gets me thinking too. So a lot of people may adopt a low-carbohydrate or ketogenic way of eating because they have been diagnosed with diabetes. Um, so it sounds like to me, if I get diagnosed with diabetes, I'm going to get this um, calcium score done because I just want to know, like, am I already creating disease? But then this, this also gets me thinking what you brought up there. I need to make sure that um, even on a low-carbohydrate or ketogenic diet, I'm I should be monitoring maybe some other factors to make sure that I'm not doing a bad version of it um, for too long. Yeah, and I think uh, even the current guidelines, and I know we have some arguments with the orthodoxy on medications and some other things, but the current guidelines, in fairness, and myself and IHDA are, are in line with the guidelines, that someone who has high risk in their blood markers, you know, that person doesn't need a CAC so much because you've already got to assume that they're at risk. And they're, if they don't have a CAC uh, high score today, they're going to have one soon. So diabetes is a heart attack equivalent. It's equivalent to having a prior MI uh, because it's such a high risk. That's the same as having a secondary prevention that you had a heart attack already. So if you're a very high risk person, you got to be careful with the depending on the CAC being low. Um, and it's probably just an important thing to capture. But your question, though, to get back to that was, if you're a diabetic person going on a keto diet, you should watch your bloods. And I'd say that's very fair. Even if you get a zero calcium, you know, you can't take it lightly that you're making an extreme change. Now, we do know from Verta Health and all the other research that a low-carb or healthy fats keto diet is a dramatic repair process for diabetes. So there's no question but we would expect the risk to plummet. But you should also be watching your biomarkers to, to verify, well, yes, for me personally, my biomarkers are getting much better on the keto diet because there will be some people where it may not work out and they've just got to be extra careful and we, we don't have all the answers for them but if their cholesterol ratios on the low carb keto diet are getting better their insulin and glucose is dropping their inflammatory markers crp is is dropping and everything is going the way most people go good on you and you're being thorough and you're watching your bloods and you're waiting for your next CAC and, and that's good practice. But there will be some people where triglycerides surprisingly go up, 
where ratios do not improve, you know, where where things are ambiguous. And and I think if I were in that position, I often say it to people, if you've gone hardcore keto extreme and things do not look exactly as you would expect to, like delightfully improving markers, consider going to a low-carb, healthy fats diet, maybe more fish and avocado, go to a milder intervention. Generally, you'll see that that may fix metrics that are not behaving. We, In my experience and Dr. Gerber's, stay safer and um, just just be more careful. It's it's prudent. It, it makes sense. And maybe do the ketosis more by skipping meals. So a low-carb, healthy fats diet with meal skipping being very regular achieves similar keto to a very high-fat, very low-carb diet without meal skipping. It's always a safer bet to do the fasting and meal skipping you know, rather than driving your keto diet with ultra low carb and very high fat. So last thing I'll mention, sorry, I'm saying a lot here, but there is some evidence that APOE4 genotype, and you can get find out if you're the 17% with APOE4 genotype with 23andMe.com. It's only $100 to get the genetic test, and it's in there. There is some evidence via William Davis and David Bobbitt, my boss, and a large circle of people that maybe some APOE4s who have sustained heart disease, significant disease, may have a sensitivity to cheeses and very rich proteinous and fatty foods. So the science isn't in yet, but people APOE4 with big disease want to be really careful to look at their CAC and be careful to look at their blood markers of inflammation uh, and insulin and everything else if they're eating a lot of cheese and high-fat, high-protein, meaty things. It does appear that there may be a safer path for some of them to go more with fish and stuff because they've damaged their machine. And there's some evidence that, you know, you got to watch your bloods and be careful. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm always getting wow. loaded questions here, uh, but yeah, um, this is the perfect time to be able to to ask these ones, which I know people listening are going to be wanting me to ask. And um, another one I definitely know that would be asked is, can I reverse my score? So if I get a, a score and it's a concerning number, and I actually had someone at the recent uh, Carnival conference in Denver come up and tell me that that he had a very high score, but he's lost significant weight going on that particular way of eating. And he was very interested to see, does he, will his score change maybe in a couple of years after having changed his biometrics to, to appear more healthy? Um, I don't know about the blood markers, but then, yeah, can, have you seen anyone being able to reverse their calcium score downwards? So in other words, is the plaque getting better? We have multiple anecdotals of people doing that. Uh, I think Patrick Toot. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, an American guy I'm going to have on the podcast, went from hundreds down to zero. Now, that's an extreme. Uh, there are others down, a lady, her husband went down from 250 down to 180, and that was the last scan, and may keep going down. In our documentary, uh, we have people as well who reduced substantially. So it is possible, but equally, I would say from all my research, and from Irish Heart Disease Awareness, and from David Bobbitt, who had a 906, and he's now at a 1,000 and something, he only went up over six, seven years at around 4% per year increase. And the data would suggest that only going up by 5% a year is a similar lowering of risk to staying flat and is a similar lowering of risk to reducing. So if people grasp that the current data that we have suggests that slowing down the increase is pretty much as good as lowering it. It sounds unusual, but that's what the data says. The crucial thing is to stop the progression because most people have no idea, even if they're slim and fit, they could have a thousand score and they're increasing 20 to 30% per year and their disease is rapidly advancing. And that's where the risk lies with a rapidly advancing disease. If that person who's slim, fit, gets a score of 1,000 and takes action, and they end up going to 1,050 a year later, or 1,100 two years later, 5% a year, 
the data would suggest they have achieved the safety of someone who had a low score in the first place. The key is not to be going up at 20 to 30% a year with a high score. That's where the danger lies. So again, a long-winded answer, but yes, we have regressors, we have flattening off people, but also we'll have people who continue to go up, but at a lower rate than they might expect it to be. So there's a consolidation when you fix the problem today. Often the calcium like has a certain overrun. The calcium can continue with all the existing soft plaque, continue to be drawn in, even if you've slowed the problem and stopped it. You can get an overshoot for a year or two of calcium continuing to rise and leveling off. And the thing that's frustrating is because the orthodoxy has not researched what I'm talking about, really, it's very hard to get your hands on the data. If they had 40 years ago or 30 years ago when the machine was validated and, and, um, and proven as an amazing technology, if the world had adopted it, we now would know all these answers. But the world didn't adopt it for political and financial reasons. And there was a lot of corruption in there in ways. It's all in the Widowmaker movie, which I can give you the link after, a one-hour documentary. And because it wasn't adopted like it should be, we have the disgraceful situation of millions of people dying without knowing they have disease when there's a simple scan. And we have a lack of data around these questions, which is also a disgrace, to be quite honest. Mm. Well, no, I think that's a great answer there. So I, I, people listening to this, if they get a score and it's, and it's high and they adopt a new way of eating and they feel healthy and everything else is getting healthy, but the score doesn't change, that they shouldn't feel like a failure. That it's actually, they've, as you said, there's a lot of benefit to halting that, that speed at which is, which is occurring. And there may be occasional cases where some people are able to reverse it. And you're, you're in the lucky situation if you are able to do that. Yeah, it's psychologically, it's very pleasing, obviously, and it's a great sign. But slowing to around 5 or 6% is probably the key. And if you keep going up at 20% or more and you start with a high score, then you might ask questions and you might be like the person I mentioned earlier. Maybe the bloods did not behave like they should. Maybe you're APOE4 and you have a sensitivity now having damaged metabolism, you have sensitivity to certain foods. And to be honest, Gary, I, I've interviewed recently a cardiologist specialist in scanning, an interventional guy who has no heart attacks almost in 15 years from all of his patients since he's done all the stuff that we're talking about. But he mentioned he has connected advancing calcification in people who have gingivitis and uh, gum infections. And when they've started flossing and got it fixed and taken away the inflammation and the bacterial load that, that has in their system, he stopped their advance. So I think we're going to find out there's a whole load of special causes, as we say in engineering, that can drive the disease process beyond diet. You know, a leaky gut and uh, lipopolysaccharide getting into your bloodstream, creating an immune reaction. It's arguable that atherosclerosis is substantially an autoimmune disease where your immune reaction to stimulants is causing a lot of damage. So beyond diet, you know, there may still be special things going on that you need to root out, like heavy metal contamination, you know, autoimmune conditions, arthritis, lupus, massive driver of atherosclerosis. So I don't want to snow people in this, but but just be aware that it is multifactorial and it's not just I go on a low-carb diet and boom, I fix heart disease. Well, diet and carbohydrate is one big vector, but there can be a lot of other things going on. Yeah, so we got to be careful. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that's and again, that's a great point to bring up. Don't just focus only on diet. There are these other factors that contribute to the formation of a, of a calcified plaque. And uh, I know it's probably a Captain Obvious kind of question, but a calcium, and, calcium supplement, that doesn't cause calcified plaque. Mm. No, uh, the calcium blood test and the calcium supplements are very much kind of nothing to do with the calcium brought in by our body into the atherosclerotic arteries. So the calcium is brought in by our body to heal the plaque or the pustules of this soft disease that could rupture and kill you. Calcium is brought in to make bony structures to strengthen those weak areas in your arteries that are inflamed. And the calcium 
in your blood test or, or in your diet really has nothing to do with it. Now, calcium in your diet, though, by taking calcium tablets, it has been shown to raise mortality because excessive calcium in your diet, especially when you have a, a lack of magnesium and balance with other minerals, can cause problems. So myself and Dr. Gerber would always say, get adequate calcium by the guidelines from nutrient-dense foods. You really shouldn't need supplements in most cases. If you want a supplement, it's probably a lot more important to take magnesium, potassium, or vitamin K2, or things like that. Because calcium has not, there's tons of calcium in the soil and modern vegetables and food products. Generally, calcium is still very prevalent in the food. Magnesium, however, has become depleted from the soils, especially in the West. And it's arguable that 70 or 80% of people are suboptimum in magnesium because the foods have lost the magnesium and iodine. So there's things you, you might supplement that are a lot more important than trying to take calcium, I would say. Okay. Um, so I think we've covered a lot of topics there um, <laughs> that are going to help a lot of people. So I'm sure so many people now are going to be listening go, where can I get the scan? How do I get the scan? Um, so I know you, you're based with the Irish um, charity there. If, if someone's in Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, is, is it pretty easy to get hold of one of these scans? It is, again, nuanced. It absolutely is by law and, and physically. There's around seven or eight centers. If people go to ihda.ie, we've got a new interactive map with the world. and We've got around 230 centers shown on an interactive zoomable map. Um, but for Ireland, there's around seven. Just briefly, there's uh, the Matter in Dublin Hospital, the Blackrock Clinic, there's the Aphidia Clinic in Nace, and then there's two in Cork, and we have Wexford. The problem will be, and it's not a, an insurmountable problem, when you go to a doctor who has to write up the scan for you, many doctors will not be familiar with the scan. And that's where we go back to the criminal negligence the last 30 years, that it was purposefully kept out of the limelight. Doctors may not be aware, they may have been trained and told as part of the kind of pseudo-corruption that that's not a useful scan, we don't like that, and they may push back. But the doctor has to give you a scan if you're middle-aged and middle-risk, and you tell them it's the 2018 guidelines, and you can find those on the ihda.ie, and there's a one-minute clip of a doctor announcing the 18 guidelines very clearly. And I often say to people, you can also write on a piece of paper that I, the doctor, uh, have decided you do not need a coronary calcium scan, and I take responsibility if you have a major heart event in the next 10 years, and ask them to sign it. And I think you'll find that they'll uh, quickly become you know, more amenable. <laughs> okay, so if that sounds great. So you have an interactive map of centers available, not only in Ireland, but all around the world at the moment. Yeah, it's a work in progress. So we have probably a couple of hundred in the US. We have a bunch of them in the UK. We have a few more and we have the Irish ones, but we're going to build up Europe in the coming weeks. But it's certainly nothing exists like it in the world because we went and tried to find in America and elsewhere, uh, basically get the list of, of centers so we could populate the map. Forget about it. This map is the first time it's been done and we're doing them one by one. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I remember that I had that struggle all those years ago. I managed to find a particular center in South Africa then. Um, and I was lucky enough I could go private so I could just go to the center and pay for myself. Is that option available for people or do they have to go through their doctor in most of the cases? In America, there's a lot of walk-in. In the UK, I think it's generally uh, kind of GP writes you a letter. There used to be a clinic that you walk in, but I think that's gone. In Ireland, it's GP's letter. So that's generally the case. In Ireland, it's around 200 to 300 euro or around 180 to 250 sterling. Um, but in England, it can often be more expensive. In the UK, Rivers Hospital, if people Google it or it's on our map, Rivers Hospital seems to be the most reasonable cost. And then in America, it's around $100 up to three or $400. So there's an element of shopping around, if you will, for this. In Ireland, the NACE clinic in Aphidia 
uh, around 20 miles from Dublin is the cheapest at 230 euro, I think. The other thing is in Ireland, we need to verify this, but it appears that recently medical insurance is beginning to cover the scan if the doctor prescribes it. So that's something that may start happening, especially with the new US guidelines. We're hoping hoping at IHDA that around the world, medical insurers kind of get their act together and start supporting this because the amount of death and disability that we can save by finding these apparently healthy people with huge disease and treating them is huge. So we're going to have to grow up in this arena. And the, t- the scores that come back, um, is this pretty standardized uh, with the technology? So as a consumer, if I went to a facility in the States or I went to a facility in Europe and they gave me a score, that score is should be standardized. Um, I, I shouldn't expect dramatic differences going to the European center versus the American center in this case. No, there may be differences between machines, but they're they're within the ranges of not really having to be concerned about that question. So you can get 64 slice and 32 slice, and there's different technologies with slightly different uh, capabilities. But generally, the score in principle is an Agatston standard calcium score, and it's essentially standardized. So if you really want to track yourself and you're a nerd and you want to be as accurate as possible, it probably would be ideal to go back to the same machine in the same center. But at a global level, the key thing you want to find out is know your score. Am I a zero? Am I in the one to a hundred range at middle age? Am I a high scoring person that needs to take urgent action? That, that's primarily what you need. Mm. Perfect. Well, Ivor, thank you so much for all these um, incredible knowledge gems that you've dropped today. And these uh, these truth bombs, I've loved them. Um, I found it so helpful. Again, just exploring the whole topic from what it is to who should have it done to how to have it done and all the little nuances that have gone in between that I can think of today. If anyone wants to keep in touch with you, follow your work, um, are there any social media links or any particular references that you want to share with people that they should go to now? Well, yeah, I'd I'd say just Google my name, Ivor Cummins, and you'll quickly hit my YouTube and website and all the podcasts I've released in the last couple of months. And uh, if you Google Widowmaker CAC, that's two words, you'll quickly in YouTube get to a one-hour version of the Widowmaker movie, which is a $2 million movie, fantastic, and a great, great watch. And then ihda.ie is the website. We've just launched a brand new one with the interactive map and some really good short three-minute clips from top professors of cardiology giving you the core of what this is all about. So that's probably the thing. And the only other final comment is, I'll say yet again, it is criminal that we have millions of people with huge disease who are destined to die and they don't know there's a simple scan that can let them know and allow them to take action. That, that's very wrong, as I'm sure you'd agree. Uh, I definitely agree. And that's why I wanted to get you on to explain this school more. So Ivo, thank you so much. And I'll link to all that in the show notes for listeners. Super. Thanks a lot, Gary. Great stuff. Mm-hmm.